Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. Very much looking forward to having the conversation I'm going to have in a moment with a guy who saw success in the game at the highest level right away. And then what happened? I'm not exactly sure. And I'm not sure he exactly knows even to this day. He's 30 now. And in 2015, he won in the fall. And then in 2016, found himself in the last group on a Sunday at the first major of the year. And that was the Masters. And he shot 81. And after that, he had very little success. Not just not winning, not making cuts. And now he's trying to figure out, can I still play this game? I'm talking about Smiley Kaufman. And for three years, he was mired in one of the great slumps you'll ever see for someone who actually won on the PGA Tour. But he started doing some media. He contributed at the PGA Championship, then at the U.S. Open, and more recently at the U.S. Junior Amateur out at Bandon Dunes. And he's talking now about his own journey and where that journey is going to next. But how did he get to where he is now? And how do you get that lost? And how do you find yourself? Forget hitting good shots. Like the crisis of confidence that comes with facing something that you might not be good again ever at. Well, he's willing to talk about it, and we're getting ready to do it right now. that we welcome him in smiley kaufman my friend how you feeling all good my man just happy to join well listen Thanks for having me on i of course i appreciate you doing this you know it's early let's get you let's get you woken up i'm, I'm going to start with a quiz do you remember the six guys you beat by a shot in las vegas oh <laughs> uh kevin not had to be one yes um, I feel like Alex Chaka maybe. Yes, even. that's two. Was there really six of them? Yes. God, Cameron Chingali. Yep. Uh, maybe Patton. You're four for four. Uh, God, there's two more, huh? I don't remember that. Uh, did Jimmy Walker sneak in there or no? No. no. It was, uh, he was, he was in the final group. Hold on. Let me give you one okay, more chance. Okay. Um, I don't got it. I don't have it. All right. Brett Stegmeyer. Oh, that was an easy one. <laughs> he was the last guy I had to wait on. <laughs> and Jason bone. Bone. God, he had a long putt. That's right. It was like two hours. It was hard to remember how many guys there were. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we weren't even in. It was like T29. Next thing you know, we're somehow – I don't know how any of those guys didn't get to the finish line more than me. Like, I just – it was just one of those posts and nobody was able to do anything. <laughs> I love stuff like that. I love, I love whether it's like these, you know, gangs and playoffs – and, and just, you know, having guys, you know, how much they remember. I was actually impressed that you, you were four for four. You know, let's start there because, you know, when you, when you turned pro and, you know, you, were, you had success right away and then you went in the fall, did, every, did all of that seem normal to you? Did, you? did you feel rushed at all or did you feel like it made complete sense? Uh, well, it didn't make sense after I won. I was like, what in the world? This wasn't hap supposed to happen this quickly. <laughs> but I, I think the, for me, why I had so much success was we had just played such a long season on the web. I was, you know, one of the best players on the web that year. I was playing really good golf. And being able to kind of roll right into that fall season, playing well, knowing that the fields weren't like – I wasn't like looking around at anybody it was like oh i can't beat this guy it wasn't like the top fields in the fall so had a top 10 at napa and that once you kind of get a big week you just need to have one good week in the fall to make sure you're on the top of the reshuffle so i just kind of was 
already playing with house money heading into Las Vegas, knowing I was going to be kind of the top of my shuffle. So which we're all as a web.com tour player at the time was all you're really thinking about. And, you know, I was having a pretty decent week hitting it really well. And then just found a hot putter on Sunday. And next thing you know, I'm hoisting the trophy. The, um, the aftermath of that, I mean, you, you started, you started 2016. Um, well, I mean, you, you had a top eight, at, at the Cadillac Championship, which, which was a World Golf Championship. Uh, you finished 12th at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which was before the Masters. So everything beyond that, were you, were you somebody who, who had a lot of thoughts or were you somebody who had very little thought and, and was very instinctual and did most everything by intuition? Uh, probably, probably the second route. I, I, I'd say that I didn't think as much. I was just trying to keep improving, keep working on my game. And I just kept surprising myself, I guess. But I just played my own game. And I felt like my game was good enough to to be able to compete at the highest level. And week in, week out, I just felt like I kept getting better and better and was kind of building towards Augusta. And that entire year was – uh, that that whole spring, I played really well, and just kind of felt like I was just kind of doing everything right. You know, I wasn't doing anything too poorly. I, I was having top finishes and was qualifying for the majors, the U.S. Open, the Brit. I was able to qualify uh, for the Open Championship after Doral, uh, which was the last year they had uh, Doral. But um, you know, just just was playing good golf. You, um, one of the things that I, I remember distinctly was, you know, along with the other guys who were very good friends of yours, there was a comfort with the tension. Um, and I think sometimes, look, you, you can practice all you want. You can't simulate pressure or, or situations late in golf tournaments, uh, but you prepare yourself as best you can. What you can't do is, is realize whether you're comfortable doing media, getting attention, um, and, and not being distracted by it. And it's, I felt like there was a comfort there for you with the attention that you were getting along with Justin, along with Jordan. Um, and is that true? I mean, were you comfortable with all that? Well, I think it was all new, but I think my personality definitely made it easy, easier to deal with media or attention. And it was kind of the, our height of social media for the beginning of it. Yep. Uh, for golf was kind of around that time and you know when we went on our trips and this or that it was kind of the big like before you know everybody had their second accounts it was when everybody just had their own like twitter accounts and and were there was no and you, you know, actually did media. it i mean it was you guys it was not a team was, of people yeah it was an authentic place it was not like a um you know the people that were following on Twitter were actually them. It wasn't like their, their second fake account where they can just troll, you know, it, there was no trolling back in 2016. It was just, you know, genuine, a, a place where you put out content and people uh, either enjoyed it or they didn't. And I felt like during that time it, it was, we were able to kind of uh, be ourselves more. And that was perfect for me. Cause I'd, my personality was able to come out um, kind of at the height of that social media. So when you talk about media, I was comfortable with golf media, but I also felt like I was able to kind of, you know, create my brand along the way, uh, which I think people are, you know, it's still evolving now, obviously, but uh, you know, it, during that time period, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely fun. No, it was, look, I, there were a couple things and I've always, you know, I've always been interested in, in, in the way that people choose to present themselves. And I thought with Polo, you were aligned perfectly. Uh, it, fit, it fit you. I thought that mm -hmm. from a stylish standpoint, everything was in line. And then, you, you know, you mentioned the Masters. And, and being there that week, Jordan was such a big deal. And I was very immersed in, in what he was doing, considering what 2015 had been. What, what was most memorable for you about everything that led up into what you did on Saturday? Was there any, were there things that stand out? Yeah, I don't really ever get annoyed by like 
media's predictions of things, but they had like a top 10 uh, rookies that year on Golf Channel right before the on Wednesday night. I'm sitting there watching and I didn't make the top 10. I'm like, what in the world are they watching? And I was just like so annoyed because I knew like I was going to be able to play well out there. I just the game is or Augusta National fits my game. Perfect. It's kind of a big ballpark. I grew up on slopey, fast greens. Uh, you got to shape it both ways with irons. I'm like, this place is perfect for me. And I didn't make the top 10 list. And I was just looked over my uh, girlfriend at the time, wife, wife now is like, they're going to regret that. <laughs> and, uh, and, but obviously it was just a fill. No one knew the TV business. now was just a filler top 10 at, or, right, you know, right. just some time filler. <laughs> uh, but you know, that whole week going in into it, uh, it was just a magical week and getting to, you know, getting to play on Sunday with Jordan was, um, was so cool you know i'll never forget playing the final group for masters it was so fun um but besides the golf <laughs> there's just nothing that went either of our our way that day so we we uh we soon to for, forgot about it but uh definitely uh I'll, I'll never forget some of the some of the things that happened that day yeah you know th- that day particularly and and you know respectfully so much of the attention was on him looking to do something that was so rare which was to go back to back and the one thing about him that week in following him every day, and I kept saying this on the air uh, in the morning on morning drive from there, was that I felt like he was like a monkey dancing on razor blades. Like he was hanging on. Like he, he, he was like, it was, and it was classic him. It was like he was junk balling his way around. And to his great credit, like he's doing it. I'm like, oh my God, he, he's going to get to the finish line doing this. Um, but it was crazy it was what crazy. he did on that on that front nine. I think he shot two or three under, and I felt like I all ball strike him, and he but he beat me by six on that side. I'm like, what? I mean, what the heck? Like, what what's going on? And then it like I think his ball striking from the week kind of finally caught up to him on that back nine. Just he had that little right miss going, and it had he hit he hit it right on ten and eleven, and then twelve be the same miss to the right. So it just was a kind of just fighting a little bit of a right miss that day. So you have a day that, that, you know, historically there have been players who've been in the position that you've been, but, but you, you've pointed out since then that there was something going on with you with whether it was your right wrist or something in your, in the, which subsequently, I don't know if it worked its way into your forearm and into your, your elbow. Was that something that was persistent that existed before the week even began? It, it started on like Saturday or Sunday at Augusta, just kind of right in the right at the base left side of my right wrist, kind of right at impact, kind of so you you know how your right wrist is set at impact, and it's basically right at the you know that little gap in that left left side, and it, and it just started kind of cranking up at Augusta, and two weeks later, I because I, I, I remember it hurting at spring break or spring break trip down at Baker's. I was like, this is kind of weird. I've never had right wrist pain or any wrist pain. So didn't think anything of it. And I get to quail and had to withdraw. I get, I like fly up there, hit some balls for like five minutes. I'm like, Nope, can't do this. And then, cause I wanted to play the players championship. I've never played. And I remember being at players and <laughs> I was on like any type of pain, like relief, and every single like ice water bath of like or cooler that was out on the golf course, I would just stick my hand in there and then I would put my glove on and then hit it. Like anything just to like give me any relief. Um, and I was <laughs> I was feeling great. I guess I had enough Advil that morning because on Thursday at players, I was leading after eight holes and then I got to 18. And I think I was I was leading after eight. And then I think I shot like 75. <laughs> it was like this, the wheels came off with uh, everything. Just I was in a great place and then I wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, that risk kind of led into some swing, uh, some swing deficiencies that I eventually would have. The, um, the combination of, of the wrist. And was there anything that, 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 that really hurt you psychologically from the Sunday at Augusta that, that hung no. around? For, no, no. No, Not yeah, at all. No, I felt I, it, like anyone would say it was a, it was a, I considered it a, a good learning experience. I felt like if I got back to that position that I would know how to handle myself and like a couple things that I would have done differently. Um, just from 
the time in between shots. That was the only thing that I learned from that experience was sometimes, you know, that time in between shots, you just got to let your mind go. And I think I was like too, just a little bit too, you know, watching Jordan and kind of just instead just kind of be in my own space. Cause as soon as you're watching him and, and he, and he does the things that he did that day yeah. with his daughter, you're just, it's hard to, I just didn't do a good job of resetting that day for my, my putt. And because everybody's moving, and that was the only takeaway from what I would have done differently. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it, the wrists and all it. I, I don't think it was that big of a um, too big of a deal, though. You know, the next season, um, you finished tied for fifth. You mentioned Wells Fargo. The next season, you finished tied for fifth there. Finished twelfth at the Players, um, and then and then in the fall of twenty seventeen. You finished fourth at Sanderson Farms, and then and then after that something just happened. What happened? Well, that fourth at Sanderson Farms was. <laughs> I always laugh about that because like that, I had no business finishing fourth at Sanderson Farms that year. I hit it in the first fairway on the 18th hole, which is like 80 yards right off the tee, and made birdie on on Sunday. Like, and I wasn't trying to go over there either, but the whole week I was just like everywhere and I would iron it good and put it well. So like, that was, it's a funny top, top five that week. Uh, but what happened, I mean, it, it was a combination of two things, just trying to change my golf swing to help my, my injuries and then having to think too much over the golf ball. And that was basically the, I just kind of lost that creativity that had made me so confident and uh, aggressive over the years to be able to attack off courses. My game just didn't travel as well. I didn't have as many shots and, you know, I'm still, you know, trying to kind of find that, that type of golf again. You know, I'm, I'm not practicing as much because I'm doing the media yep. more because I'm enjoying it. Yep. Uh, but I used to be able to hit kind of every window with my iron. Um, and I drove it down a string, hitting it pretty far. Um, and I think that's kind of what I miss is just that creativity and just having to think too much over it. You know, I'll never forget um, seeing you at Oakmont in 2016. And obviously right. this was, this was after, this was after Augusta. But one thing that, that I always, always struck by with you is there was, there was this, it's like you're a live wire. And, and I remember we were walking down the 15th hole, the 15th yep. fairway, and you had a, you had a bounce to you that was, I mean, it was like, wow, this guy is like so alive. Um, when you started to play poorly, did that leave you? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the cameras weren't on me at that point. I wasn't, you know, around media as much. I, I tried to keep good attitudes, and but I, I would just would be so frustrated with the game. And I, I was always a very fiery player. Like, if you watch me out on the golf course, like practice rounds and stuff, like great mood. But I was definitely more of an intense golfer and like very hard on myself and wanted I just wanted to be the very best that I could possibly be every single day. And sometimes I was way too hard on myself on the golf course, off the golf course, constantly just wanting to improve and think about it. And as a competitor, that drove me to want to get back to where I was. And sometimes what I've learned now looking back is I should have just taken time off and simplified the game and just played golf gone and just fall in love with the game again. I think, I think I lost sight of, of the game of golf and trying to be too perfect. And I think that is probably one of the main things I wish looking back during times of struggle, just not been so tough on myself and just kind of gone and just played golf, you know, late nine holes at home and just kind of read, you know, try to find those shots that kind of get you get you back going for the next day yeah but i think that was one of the main one of the th main things that what uh left me um you you mentioned girlfriend now wife francie did you did you start sharing with her like doubt did you start like talking to her about like i i like i don't know what's going on here like did you guys have conversations about the things that you were dealing with you know i think as as a professional golfer we try to make ourselves so tough that 
we th- we we make it to where we're so indefensible and I think I wish I would have been able to open up more during that time. I just never wanted to put any doubt out for myself out in the air. So like, but all as the older I've gotten, the more I've opened up to her about everything. And, but at the time it was all just, you know, just trying to stay super confident in myself and not act like anything is, is wrong. Cause I didn't think anything was wrong. It was just trying to figure out how I can get back to playing a week off. And, um, yeah, it's funny what happens when you just get a little older and a little bit more mature and realize that talking is pro- talking things out is probably more efficient than than uh, than than kind of cramming it all in. You know, Smiley, you you we we had talked about social media a little bit earlier. Social media is is downright cruel uh, at times, and it's it's unhealthy uh, for a lot of people to consume. I, I think too much of it any day, whatever whatever it is that you're consuming. Um, did you find yourself taking in these things that people, these harpoons that people were <laughs> launching at you? Um, and, and was it debilitating you? Yeah, it was tough, man. I've, I've never, um, you know, growing up, like I was a good basketball player, good golfer. And, um, you know, you, you play like away games at a basketball game and, and somebody might yell something at you and you'd be able to kind of go prove them wrong. Well, at the time, when all this is going down and I'm playing bad and it's all like just these accounts that are just firing at me just for playing bad, you know, it's hard to fire back because all you can really do is, is just go try to prove them wrong. And I just wasn't in a position to prove anybody wrong because I wasn't playing good enough. So I think I was putting extra pressure on myself and there would be times to be out on the course, just, you know, got over par early and I'm just like, I wonder what everybody's thinking. And there was just too much of that social media world had blended in to just my everyday life, the the bad side. Like I just, there was no good side of social media at the time. It just was, I just felt like all of it was a negative. And that's, you know, that's the shame about social media is, is that people can do, say whatever they want. These, I mean, shoot, there's a kid making a living. There was a kid making a living off of me, just off of my bad play and just being able to post things about me. It's like, well, I mean, I would rather be in the, the shoes that I am because, like, I was raised to, you know, if you're going to say something, say, say it to their face. So there was there was times that it was super frustrating for me, um, and I had to put it away. I just had to put social media down. I was off it probably for, you know, I would have a post here and there, um, but it was probably two years, you know, that I spent time away from social media just because it was such a dark place for me. It just there was nothing good. Any comment I read was always tagged in. It was just never like something that you would wouldn't be tagged in. So I needed to get off. Um, and Jordan did a good job of that. He he hasn't been on social media probably for yeah. I know his long time. His, I know it's I know he's tweeting and all that or Instagramming, but he had been on for five six years. Yeah, and it's impressive that he's he's. He just said, I don't need to read that. And I think that's what I needed at the time was like, I don't need it either. Um, but I think some of us that like social media, you know, we don't really want to be off of it. Like, I think it's a good, there's, there can be good to be out of social media. And I think um, I still tried to make it work, but I, it got to a breaking point where like, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I remember whether it was, you know, Jordan first, Rory disengaged, um, you know, it seems like Justin still like, like that's him. Like there is an authentic participation from him. You tell me otherwise, it's not like he's on there all the time, but like he'll jump on, he'll make a comment. He may respond to, you know, a handful of people and, and he's managed for it to not be, you know, this cesspool, which can, it, it can immediately become. And I, I have contended for years um, and remember asking Nicholas and Player and these other guys at, at, at the Masters the impact of social media on performance. Like, it's a real thing. You just said yeah. it. Like, like, guys, you hit a shot and you're thinking, well, what, are, what are people saying? And, <laughs> and having covered all sports for a pretty long time, like, I remember thinking, like, for a college kid to make a, you know, make a catch in a big game, and I can't imagine what it would be like for him to walk into a class on a Monday morning if he caught a pass for LSU and it's like, 
that's the essence of being a college athlete. But, but now it's like, he doesn't have to wait till Monday. All he has to do is look at his feed. And, but, yeah. but, but, but instead of that, put the intersection of that moment in him dropping the pass. And he is, he is vilified. He's barbecued. He is harpooned by all these people who have inserted themselves into his life. And I think the, the impact on performance in, by social media is something that we're going to study till the end of time now because it's a real thing. Absolutely. And uh, from my experiences, it, you know, there's can be so good, so much good from it. You can build your brand behind yep. it. Uh, you can kind of create your story the way you want it to be told and see what, what people want would like to see. You can, you're able to kind of share that um, with your fans and your audience. And I think there can be so much great from it. Uh, but like you said, it, you know, it, it kind of, this is when, like, I guess maybe, DraftKings maybe kind of started or like the the lineups and so like it all started kind of right around that time because like you after every round you kind of got it if you didn't play as good you got a tweet from like people that had you on your team he's like man you suck like I'm like why'd you pick me I don't know like sorry <laughs> and uh so that it's kind of that same time as when that started uh but you know as if you're playing good and you're confident in yourself you know I just I just wasn't quite both of those you know I just wasn't quite playing as good as I could and I just wasn't quite as confident in myself and I think you're you're able to like not be quite as strong when you're uh when you're when you're just not quite playing as good it just was I just wasn't as strong as I needed to be you know I I I was talking to Casey Martin last week and and look he's had a he's had a fascinating and challenging journey himself in his life but he was sharing with me it was like three years ago that, that he, he went through this exercise where he said, I'm not going to hit the ball until I have no thought. And I'm like, I don't know how that's achievable. I swear to God, I don't know how you did it. And he goes, well, I did it. And he said, the first time I did it, I shot 63. And he said, I had a five-week period where I never shot an over-par round. And he goes, it wasn't like it was competitive golf, but, but still, he said, I, I, I did it. And my question would be to you is, did you have so much thought that it was that you were almost paralyzed by the abundance of thought before you took yes. the club back? Well, I just, you know, I've, I went to a lot of really good golf coaches. I bet. And I, a lot, there wasn't one that I would say screwed me up or gave me bad advice. I think every single one of them had their best interests to try to help me become what I wanted to be. And I think that for me, it was just too, like, I just never, like, I was hoping that the next person I went to would be the magical stuff to where I didn't have to think about it anymore. And it just seemed like I never was able to turn my brain off. And I, you know, now looking back, it's, I wish I would have done so much more less, kept it simple, stayed with like, you know, whether it be one coach or maybe another coach and just tried to have a better game plan. I think that was um, just bounce around too much. Just as it, it's just not good for golfers. Um, and I, I learned that the hard way, but I think this reset to where I've been able to do media and just play golf for fun lately and just not be worried about playing professionally at the time it's like I'm able to kind of fall in love with the game again I'm just not thinking about it over the ball I'm just hitting shots and even if I hit a bad shot it's not like the end of the world you know it's just like I'm it, I think that's it's just nice to not be so into every shot to where it's life or death <laughs> yeah you know I was having this conversation with some buddies I was on a golf trip with two weeks ago and we were like what what is what's a swing thought and, and, and what isn't? And this one guy said, well, is visualizing what you want to do in the air, is that a swing thought? And I said, I don't think it's a swing thought. I don't think it is. Um, do you think that is a swing thought? I've, I think the biggest thing that I've lost is that visualization pre-shot, you know, just being able to see the window and yes. trust it going into the ball. Like that, that's, that's the biggest thing I've missed is just that that moment in between 
and right before a shot, just visualizing that shot, what window it's coming out of and just being able to kind of um, just picture it and then execute. Cause like, that's, that's the most important thing I used to do in practice was be able to go on the range, say, I'm going to hit a, a nine iron to a back left pin. I would stick a, a stick in the back left corner of our practice green and set up like it's a tournament, 155 yards. I'd pick my, you know, where it's going to start, where it's going to finish, hit a draw, can't finish left. And I would practice those situations to the different parts of the green and to where when I got on the golf course, it was just really, I've already done this. And when I really started to struggle is when I would go do that type of practice, the random type of practice with different type of pin locations, I wasn't able to execute in on the range. And I think that's when I started spiraling a little bit downhill because I just spent so much more time on the range. It's like, well, if I can't do it here, how am I going to do it out there on Sunday? And I think that's when I just really just started over practicing, trying to get, make everything perfect. And sometimes as a golfer, we, we, we have to be okay with what we have. And I think I wasn't, I'm just such a perfectionist that I wasn't okay with not being great. And that was kind of, for me, what led me to kind of different paths. And I, I wish I would have done it differently, but that's just the way I was wired at the time. You know, Smile, I worked in a building for 10 years at Golf Channel where I was around people who played at the level that you played at. And a lot of them had a great deal of success, but I felt like a handful of them, like as much as the game had given them, like the game had taken something from them. And you know how golf is inherently, when you ask somebody how they play, they're like, yeah, I'm pretty well, but they always start with what could have happened. And, yeah. and, and I think golfers inherently talk about what could have happened. And, and, and I think that happens. And I've, I've like, I really think that there's a huge documentary series that can be written on like how golf broke people like hall of fame players too. Like how the game is, <laughs> yeah. has broken them. And, and I've asked guys, like, if I told you, tell me five guys that the game broke, could you come up with five? Like, Oh God, easily. And these are guys like who were good and won a lot. Um, did the game, has the game taken something from you? Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it, it's given me so much and I was able to experience the highs and highs of it that no, nobody can ever take that away from me. Nobody can tell me that I can't play at an elite level, the highest level in golf. I've done it. Yep. Um, so I've already proven that to myself that I, I was one of the better golfers in the world at one point. And to me, that's, that's all I needed now. Could I, would, would I have liked to have done that for 20 years? Absolutely. But I've gotten to experience life so much different than other people. I've gotten to see the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, and then kind of figure out who you are as a person as you, as you kind of progress through, you know, your twenties. And for me, that, that was what I needed. I didn't realize it at the time, you know, when you come out, you know, firing all on all cylinders, you know, you kind of, I was, I was able to get back home and really settle into who I am as a person. I think that, and having a, you know, a wife kind of be my backbone through those years, you know, you, you really find out, you know, who you are. And I think that is kind of what I needed. And um, I was, I've been able to kind of reset ever since. And I just feel so much more comfortable with how I am now as when I look back when I was playing really well, it's like, just, you know, I was a real cocky kid at the time in my head. Um, and I don't think I treated anybody any differently. I just think uh, the perspective that I have now versus, versus then is, is just totally different. When you, when you decided to embark on doing some media, your agent, Jimmy Johnston had, had, and there's a, there's a wonderful piece that was done around the PGA championship by the athletic, um, uh, about your, your kind of re-engaging and, and doing it by way of doing the media. But initially you were offered the opportunity to do the antiseptic in the studio PGA tour live kind of thing. And you balked at that, like, nah, I don't think so. Um, but you chose to do the on-course thing for the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Um, but before you did that, did you have any trepidation? Like, if I do this, 
Am I, am I, is this resignation in any way? Did you feel that at all? Um, a little bit. I, you know, as a golfer, you, you know, you still think you got it. And it, like, as a, somebody who's won, they, they, they send you a PGA tour card every, every single year. It's not like the NBA or the NFL where they tell you, Hey, you can't play anymore. <laughs> you, you can, you can go play, you know, like you can go try to do Mondays and do this. And, you know, for me, I just hit my earlier this year. I just, that's when I've been really been way more open with my wife and just about how things are going. What, what are we going to do moving forward? Cause obviously you can't do this sustainably for, you know, long-term being able to chase this dream yeah. and, uh, or re reignite the fire. And so for me, I just, I just was very candid with her and very candid with Jimmy about, Hey, if there's anything that comes up, I don't know if media is for me, but I do, I would like to try uh, to see if it is for me. And I think at the PGA, I, I just, I think you, you develop so much type of like when you've struggled so much and you've like, you feel like I was always looking over my shoulder when I got to a golf tournament for whatever reason. I think that's just anxiety that has built over the years of just kind of struggling. I just always had, a, had this kind of like monkey on my back that I just couldn't quite scratch. And it was funny when I got to the PGA, it was just like, it was like, it was totally lifted. And I was like, this is, I, I, I just kind of felt so comfortable with myself and just felt like there's nobody, you know, right around the corner. It just felt like I was, this is what I was here to do that week. And I think it was, it was good for me. Uh, one of the guys you worked with is a good friend of mine, Dave Feldman. And I talked to Dave, uh, I talked to Dave, not only I talked good to, to see him, I, I talked to him great. last night. Uh, and cause I told him that I was going to be talking with you this morning, but I also talked to them that week because he was, first of all, just, you know, what I could share about Southern Hills. Cause I had spent some time there and then, and then, you know, he was asking me about you and I said, well, he's a very energetic guy. Obviously this is new for him. But then last night I wanted to talk to him about the experience of working with you and, and Smiley, I have this, and it's just my own theory. I think that people who tried television, it's not that they can't get better at it, because you can. If you're determined, you can probably get better at most everything, but you either can or you can't, and you can do this. And, I, and Dave said I, he could do it, like he, he did it, like right away he did it. He has this like, like savant-like ability to talk like himself and, and give you a thought in 12 seconds. And I know what that 12 seconds is like. Now I'm not done on course reporting, <laughs> but I know what it's like to be told you know, hey, get in there, and then you also have not only the guy tossing it to you, but you have somebody in your ear counting you down, and you get in, you get out, and you're trying to say something that actually makes some damn sense. <laughs> you did that, and I just yeah. wonder, like, when, what, like, the first time they threw it to you, and you have this, like, this moment of, like, holy shit, like, this is on, like, right now. When it was over, after the first time, did you go? Oh my God, like I didn't die. I mean, what was it, what was it like? <laughs> well, so just the differences in the, uh, in the broadcast that I have done. So I worked for ESPN and the PGA, yep. worked for NBC Peacock for the U.S. Open, obviously just to finish up the U.S. Junior and worked for Golf Channel, NBC. And so with ESPN, we came on like 30 minutes before like tee off. So like we're filling time and they would send it down to me and they just wanted to to you know, me talk for a minute or two about the conditions that day. And I just remember thinking like that night, I'm like, I'm going like full weatherman tomorrow. Like I have to be weatherman for like a full minute and a half. I've never been the weatherman. Like I, <laughs> I can tell you my yardage book, it's coming out of the North. And I think we rehearsed it probably two or three times the day before. And when I tell you I hit, I didn't even come close to saying the same thing twice. It was just like, it just, random but every time it came out okay and it was like all right i guess i'll just see what comes out tomorrow and when we finally got onto the golf course uh i was like all right here we go we got zalatoris hovland and uh ah, shoot i can't remember the last one but we get uh, willie z hits it down there and he and like he hits this most unbelievable shot that totally like was all like I was so off on the call because like he hit this unreal shot that I didn't think he could get close and he hits it to like five feet. I'm like, 
good start. <laughs> and, and I was like, that, but I think Willie Z is just that good. And I think that credit to him uh, made me look bad on my first call. But the thing with TV too, is I didn't realize that you can have, like these guys have issues with their, their headsets, their, their equipment. The first three holes, I can't hear anything like static. And I'm like, this is awful. Like I'm like on talk back to the producer. I'm like, can't hear anything like tell them not to talk to me and so we finally get through three holes they sent out one of those uh bsi guys or whatever whatever they're called and uh and they get it fixed and from there you know working with dave and mark wilson that entire week yep. was great because i feel like every day i understood the flow a little bit more and i talked to mark wilson after one of the rounds he kind of gave me some just um advice advice on when he passes me the ball to like talk, you know, just how to kind of pass it back and, or keep it when I needed to. And so along the way, I've gotten great advice from so many people. And Dave was so fun to talk to because he's like, he's, his voice is so fun to listen to just talking to, like, he just is so entertaining to me. And he just sounds like a guy that is always working on his handicap in golf. Oh my God. You nailed it. it. And, and that's like, it was easy to be able to, to talk to him about certain things um, and just kind of poke fun at him at time, just knowing that he couldn't hit that shot. It's like, Dave, that, that one, I know you would have struggled with that one. <laughs> the, um, he, he was mentioning an anecdote where um, Patton Kazire was, was running hot and, and you even, you made a comment like, like he's, I played junior golf with him. I know when he's, you know, when he's redlining and, and lo and behold, he had one of those moments and he like harpoon, he, he, he tomahawked a wedge or something like three holes later, like, I don't know, a hundred yards or something. It was, it was an all timer. And, and he's like, he nailed it. And there's, look, it's one thing to have a familiarity with the players. It's another thing to kind of sense that, yeah, I can tell that he's, you know, that he's redlining. Did, did those things, did they provide reassurance to you? Were there things that happened that week that were reaffirming to you that like, I, like I, I'm, I'm kind of getting this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just certain things you notice of players when you watch for 18 holes that I was able to pick up on quickly. Um, and I think for me, it was surprising how easy I felt it was, like just to be able to talk about um golf it was like all right this is so simple to talk about it's a no there is a huge warning curve as far as to be able to do that job at a very high level yep but but already kind of passed all of the test of being able to talk about it because i've done it and i know what it's supposed to look like how it's supposed to sound and you know where 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 that ball is supposed to land where it's supposed to fly so all those things are super easy for me to talk about but to be able to do it, like you said, in 12 seconds or six seconds, sometimes two seconds yep. and, and so, and be yourself along the way and entertain the viewer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky at times. Sometimes it's, it's overwhelming being, you have to be that quick. But I told my wife after that week, um, after every day, uh, everybody would go meet in the lobby. Everybody would go eat, have a glass of wine. Yep. And we, would, and we would talk about our rounds like it was junior golf. And I'm like, this was so fun. <laughs> I had such a, such a great time meeting so many different people in that business and uh, learn from so many of them. But it's just, it, it's like junior golf. You know, when we used to finish rounds and we would just go talk about our bogeys. And it's like, this guy made the dumbest decision on the sixth hole today. I don't know what he was thinking. And it was so fun as a player to be able to just – you know just chop it up with everybody when you got when you got to brookline did you feel like you had already like you had already made a leap because i you know repetition the only way to do it is to do it more um did you feel like you had made a leap when you got there i really did i felt like i think brookline too was important for me because i got to work with so many different people like i worked with dave and mark at at the at ESPN at Southern Hills and Brookline, I think I worked with like a total of like fifteen different different uh, hosts and analysts. Yeah, 
which I thought was important to me because I got I got everybody's different cadences, how they got in and out of breaks. So now I went from working with somebody for six rounds to working with somebody different every round. So now like that was just, it, it couldn't have worked out better. Um, but I felt like Brookline, like you said, was when I showed up, I felt confident that I was able to do it. It wasn't quite as, as difficult. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I would say it was, it was, um, it was pretty good. It was a good week. The, uh, the junior, which I watched a fair amount of, uh, and, and first of all, the, Bandon is an American treasure, and I'm so glad that that exists in our country. Had you been there before? That uh, was first time. D did it blow your mind? It it was really cool. Uh, we went and played Sheep Ranch, uh, Burko, Noda, yeah. and uh, our producer Jeff went out and played Sheep Ranch, uh, and it was fantastic. Like some of the pictures I took, I was like, this isn't this isn't America. This is like scott scotland ireland like it was just so cool it, i i went out there for the solstice event uh and played but this before sheep ranch was was open played all four in one day walking uh stop it yeah and and <laughs> and made the idiotic decision to have a bunch of guys feldman was on this trip and oh, and so we played 72 walking so it was 28 oh, miles and then and then i had a bunch of guys including dave come in, played 36 the next day and 36 the next day. Um, I, it, I, but again, the place is awesome. But I, let me ask you about this part of being there that week. The, the junior golfer, was there, a, was there like a lightness and an absence of fear or thought that seemed palpable for you among these players? Like they're not, they're not cynical about the business. They're not worried about where they're going next. They don't have, you know, obligations with sponsors yet. They all want that. I get it. But was there something about being there that week that might have been therapeutic for you? Um, not really. Okay. You know, we only got to watch him play semis in the finals. And at that point, you're these guys are really, the, you know, they're the, the cream of the crop yeah. of, of that group. Um, you know, I just enjoyed the the difference in the call. You know, it's when you're talking, you know, when I've worked at, you know, the majors, we're talking about the best players in the world. So my expectations of what they should do are, is, is very high. And I know kind of when they don't have their stuff and you can kind of see it, you kind of comment about it, but the U S junior, it's, it's more about, you know, when it's match play, you're talking more about um, situations. You're talking yeah. about when you do things really well, highlight, this is tour level good. And there were kids that were playing that did things at a tour level good. Um, kid Caleb Surratt, I mean, he's a, he'll be a, a freshman next year at Tennessee and he's leading that elite amateur series um, as a, a high school kid. This is, you know, that series was designed for college kids that are amateur golfers and he's leading it by like a touchdown. And he's, he's good enough already to make cuts on the PGA tour. He's, he hits it long enough. And so that was fun to be able to follow a kid that's going to be that good. So that was for me being able to uh, follow a future star, I believe in the game is uh, to see him at a, such a young age and how, you know, raw they are as a, um, as a, not as just a golfer, but just as like a person, you know, they're just still trying to find their voice in an interview uh, but you know how confident they are in their games and, and that always the same way. So it, it just is cool to kind of see them at that phase in their life. Yeah, no, no question. You're going to do, you're going to do the U S amateur, uh, at Ridgewood. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing you there. Cause that's, I grew up there and you, you'll love that. And then I know that you're also going to do the Vegas event, which you won. Um, do you think this is what you want to do? Do you think this is your path? Well, I think my path, it's a great question because my path right now is, is ever changing. And if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year, Hey, you're going to do TV the rest of the year. I'd be like, really? I, I didn't think that was going to happen, but you know, I hearing from, you know, like you saying you either can or can't do it. And I've had more guys that I trust that, you know, Sansy, yeah. uh, like he, <laughs> you know, he kind of sought me out. We had time to sit together at Brookline. He's like, dude, you can do this. I'm like, okay, I 
because like as a you know I've never done it before and and I don't know how it sounds to their their ears but they they seem to think I can do it and I feel comfortable doing it I enjoy doing it you know is it my path forever I don't know but right now it seems to be what I enjoy doing and um I we'll see I think right now it seems to be kind of the way I'm heading but um I think it's all ever changing <laughs> how does how does I mean, how does Francie feel about that? I mean, how does your family, which I, I know has been very important to you throughout your life, I mean, is do, do you get feedback from them? Are they excited about the fact that you're doing something you never thought you'd be doing it at the age of 30 and you 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 like it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Francie, she's, she's going to support me in everything she does and same with me, with her. Um, you know, I think, you know, for me just to be able to kind of sink my teeth into something and kind of get back into that competitive working hard at something and improving, you know, for so long I worked and that's the frustrating thing about golf is that you can work harder than anybody and get worse. And I used to work harder than everybody is what I felt like and would continue to get better. And that for me, it, it, that was the most frustrating thing about golf for that time period is I would, spend so much time at the golf course trying to get better and I'm weave and I would say, did I get better today? I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe I got better. Maybe I didn't. And I think with this new career opportunity, I'm able to kind of reset and, and be able to, you know, weave tournaments thinking, all right, I just got a little better at this this week and learn this from Noda this week. And that's like, I write it down. It's like, I got a bunch of notes that, kind of make it to where you can get a little better at this. Um, it's a, and Justin Leonard told me at the, uh, at Brookline, he's like, it's a steep learning curve, but it's, it can be great if you continue to work at it. And I didn't, it's kind of hard to work at something you only get six seconds to work on, but there's, you know, there's, there's been greats that do have done it and they have their own kind of cadence and people love to listen to them. So it's just kind of finding that and, and just keeping improving on it. But, you know, my family's always been supportive of everything I've done, though. You know, Justin, the first television he did, I, it was with me, it was the 2014 Ryder Cup. We were doing, like, this alternate thing where we were watching. It was me, Lanny Watkins, Faherty, and Justin, and it was almost like having a mega cast. It was a great concept. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, like what? he can do this. Like, And it was yeah. the first time, and I'm like, he can do this and, and it, he wound up doing it. And, and, you know, you combine the ability to do it with the willingness to get better. And that's when you become really good at it, which, you know, I hope that you, I hope that you do that. Um, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions. Yeah. Uh, the best night you don't remember. Ooh, uh, best night. I don't remember. Uh, Man, my mind, my mind immediately went to uh, Baker's Bay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to probably have to go with one of those nights down there. <laughs> Would you guys, and now that everybody, you're, you're, you know, look, Justin's getting married. Jordan's got a kid. Ricky's got a kid. Yeah. I, you know, like, when, will, will you guys like do that when you're like 40 and do uh, and, like go to yeah. bed at like 830? Yeah, yeah, I, I probably so. And uh, France, Francie and I are expecting a baby in January. Oh, so fabulous! Yeah, so we're we're on that. I guess the retirement tour when it comes to to bakers, we'll be in bed by nine o'clock like everybody else. <laughs> we'll be at seven a.m. Br uh, brunch though, or breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> All right. What is the what is the best SEC road weekend? All things considered, all things. Okay, like just a place to visit or the best game, just everything in it. Everything. And then, and uh, I think everybody's every. I would give you three that I've experienced that I think that are elite. Uh, I think LSU is at a night game is something you got to do. I think the tailgating experience, the night game is is uh, is such a cool atmosphere, yep. and I'm I'm super biased, but I think that opinion won't be too far off with a lot of people. Um, my wife went to Auburn. I've kind of you know, found a way to, you know, it's kind of hard to find a way to like another team, but I think Auburn's such a cool town and it's a sneaky, really tough atmosphere. It's very yes. loud. 
Um, I think it's very underrated as far as it's, it's, uh, it's fan noise. And I think the campus is really good. And I think it's just a really good school. Uh, I'll probably go with, uh, I can't ever get Alabama credit for anything. Uh, <laughs> and you grew up, I mean, you grew up in this, like Vestavia Hills. Yeah. People, I mean, Mountain Brook and I, I went to Vandy. So I know all the guys that, that came from your neck of the woods. Um, I, for you to have, did you not have any affinity for the University of Alabama growing up? No, my dad, so my mom and dad both played golf at LSU. So it was, I was kind of red, great, uh, raised an LSU fan. Uh, my dad didn't allow it. So <laughs> he kind of raised me to hate Alabama. We used to, you know, uh, leave those games right before the end. And he would just, you know, walk as fast as he could to the car. And so I'm just used <laughs> to walking as fast as I can to the car out of an away game. Uh, whether it be at Alabama or somewhere else. So, uh, and he, he just doesn't like any other of those teams. So, but I mean, you know, I'm a pretty casual fan now, like as far as like whether I like a team or not. But, but I would say that third team, though, would probably either be Ole Miss or Alabama as far as the atmosphere. Yeah, Ole Miss is very good. Area. Ole Miss is it, the, that whole thing. Um, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. The thing about, you, you know, the thing about going to Vandy is that it was such a good weekend for, first of all, There'd be 20,000 visiting fans. You get every yeah. team that came into Nashville always covered. It was never a question of whether the game was going to be won or not. And you were going to the best city in the league. Like all yeah. these other, all these other, they're great little bedroom college communities, but Nashville's like a happening city. So, right. so it, it was funny when the state troopers from Alabama or Louisiana or Florida or Georgia came rolling into downtown Nashville. I mean, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I knew we were going to get our doors blown off, but I also <laughs> knew there were going to be 20,000 people wearing gold or red or orange. Um, it was a great, it was a great road trip because again, there was no stress. The game was it's just, crazy. the game was just a three hour yeah. interlude between going downtown or going to the grand old Opry or getting, you know, yeah. drinking, you know, drinking and eating good food. Um, well, in 2019, LSU played at Vandy, and this is our year. We had that magical year where we won with Joe Burrow. Yep. Um, I think the whole stadium was pretty much LSU. Oh, of course. And there, was a, there was a tweet that came out at halftime, and it said that they had ran out of alcohol in the stadium, and that LSU fans had drunken <laughs> drinking the stadium dry before the end of the first half, and they were all out. So I've been like, you could see people. I mean, we were kicking their butt, but. At the end of the third quarter, they're they're heading to Broadway. You can tell, like this stinks. They got no more beer. <laughs> All right, who is um who's the funniest person you know? Probably one of my like. Do you want a golf answer? No, 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 uh, no, no. Somebody in your uh, life who's the funniest person you know? Uh, probably one of my buddies, uh, Andrew Visiglio here in town. He's a guy that works at the Piggly Wiggly here in town. He's probably the wittiest guy I know and he would probably be him uh he he'll, he'll laugh when I say that he he made it on a, on a, is, on a show. is he a, is he a manager at the Piggly Wiggly what does he do there uh yeah his family runs the Piggly Wigglies here in town and it's not like those hoedown Piggly Wigglies that like they're in the middle of Alabama it's a it's a legit it's like the Taj the Taj they got, Piggly some good, Wiggly. got some awesome stores here um but he's hilarious he just He's a mess. He's good. He knows Jordan and JT well as well. And you ask them about him. He's just like, he's a nut. <laughs> All right. What is the, um, what's the most embarrassing moment you've ever had in your life? Uh, I would probably say this was so embarrassing. Uh, it definitely would have been in new Orleans at the Zurich one year and like whatever I ate the night before, didn't sit well. I'm teeing off with uh, David Toms and Charlie Hoffman on the 12th hole. We'd already played two holes. We teed off the back and my stomach just totally dropped. And there was like a porta potty over there. I'm like, it's so hot. And like, just do my business, come out, hit my tee ball. And then my caddy as we're like walking off the tees, like, dude, you have toilet paper on your belt. And it was like hanging off of my like leg and none of and Charlie and David didn't say anything. And like, we have a group, like a, a pretty decent oh, yeah. crowd playing with David sure. in new Orleans. And I got toilet paper hanging off my leg. And I just remember thinking, I was like, 
man, this stinks. And like, that's, this is awful. Like it was so embarrassing, but then my buddies and the, you know, I'm in my early to, you know, mid twenties and I show up out there in the fairway and I see my buddies, they didn't sleep that night. They just gotten back from new Orleans, uh, from partying all night. And I see their eyes and I'm like, I could be them right now. And I was like, I'm all good. It was like a nice, like the most humbling experience into like, okay, you're fine. Like they're going to be way worse off today than I am. <laughs> all right. Last thing, pound for pound, the player who gets the most out of his game you've ever seen in your professional career. Oh God. Peter Malnati. Like what he, like, and I haven't played with him a long time. And it, it seems like to me, when he when I watch him on TV now, it looks like like he compresses a little bit more, but mm. like he used to not compress it as much. And he would get around and he'd shoot sixty six. I'm like, <laughs> he just does it such a different way, yeah. you know. Like it's just totally opposite of the way everybody else plays. You know, he's got you know more graphite shafts and like, but he just hits it right at the hole. And I'm like, God, because it just doesn't make that sound you're used to. Yeah he's so good around the greens and he beats you in different ways that other guys don't. Um, it's probably the answer you didn't expect, but probably Peter. <laughs> no, no, that's a good answer. I mean, I, again, guys, he's still on tour, man. Exactly. I he shot like every year. I'm like, he just, he's got a job better, better at his craft, man. Like it's, it's impressive. No question about it. Hey, he's, listen, he's doing a lot with less, man. Yep. For sure. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm very happy that, that you're lending your voice. Um, I'm happy you're, you're finding, you know, joy and fun and doing it. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing you at Ridgewood. I really will. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. It was a good conversation. And anytime you want me to come on, I'm, I'm happy to, to divvy it up. Thank you, my buddy. Really appreciate it. Well, really appreciate Smiley Kaufman taking the time. You know, one thing, I, again, I said it to him and I always thought was it's great to have great energy, which he had, but there was a positivity about him when he was playing, when he was playing well, uh, that was palpable. And I think in time, the more he does television, I, I think he's going to be able to exude that. But I appreciate his willingness to talk about the downtime, the abyss that he looked into and what he's found maybe on the other end is a different type of career in the game of golf. But most importantly, thank you for listening and watching to this Five Clubs conversation. We'll see you next time.